Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more and remember subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week the cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz with, <laughs> with the savage premium so go to go to glow.fm slash savage premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else thank you very much so today we're going to talk about a book called the decline of the west by Oswald Spengler. 
He wrote it right after World War I, which was a very dismal time in human history, uh, particularly for a German who had just lost World War I and was facing the horrors of the League of Nations imposition of penalties upon the German people, loss of land, things of that nature. So although it is a dark and foreboding view of the future, in many ways it was not wrong. If you look at America today, to bring it down home, as they would say in the 60s, with the crime spree, with the advent, with the rise in almost all offices across the land, with very rare exception, of criminal left-wing fanatics, including the most recent iteration, an African-American ex-cop who we thought would be tough on crime, in fact, turns out to be as corrupt as all of them in the first week, if not more corrupt. And then, to add salt to the wound, he grants amnesty to illegal aliens, more or less, one way or the other, and says they can all vote in this city. The man is a monster. He is getting away with it because people are afraid to say one word for fear they'd be called a racist. But we're losing the picture of what I want to talk about today on uh, the Savage Nation podcast, the Michael Savage podcast, whichever way you want to see it. I saw a movie the other night on one of the sites, I don't know whether it was Amazon uh, Prime or whatever, called The Som, S-O-M-M-E, which I was vaguely familiar about, which was a primary battle of World War I, where I think 60,000 soldiers died in one day because the generals sent them into machine gun fire that chopped them up like hamburger, caught on the barbed wire. And I looked at the boys, and I saw the faces, not only of the actors, but of the documentary footage of the time that was inserted in that film, The Som, And they look like the high school kids that I see on the fields in the high schools around me. Fresh-faced kids killed for nothing. You know, of all the wars of this century that I can think of that this nation has been involved in, World War I was basically a war for no reason other than the egos of fat old men in plain English. There was no reason for World War I. It started quite by accident, incidentally. And it went on and on and on. 60 million soldiers fought in the First World War, over 9 million killed, 6,000 dead soldiers a day, 6,000 dead soldiers a day, and the fact of the matter is the mortality rate ranged between 6% and 30% of the soldiers, with the highest numbers of dead in the armies of Serbia, Montenegro, and the Turkish Empire. Well, that was mainly due to epidemics of cholera, typhoid, and smallpox, Uh, The other armies had vaccinated their troops against these diseases. You should know that. The vaccinations prevented the large-scale spread of cholera, typhoid, and smallpox in other countries. Infectious diseases did also spread in other armies, but with a lower mortality rate. So in absolute numbers of dead, The battles on all fronts claim the highest number of casualties because of the technology of the machine gun, explosive artillery shells, and whatnot. The death toll among prisoners of war was about 5 to 10% of prisoners. I can give you all of the details and break it down by the nations and tell you how many died in each country. But in, in sum, I will put it to you in a very simple manner. Spengler wrote The Decline of the West right after World War I. Well, You can look at it in a global way and say to yourself that Western civilization came to an end as a result of World War I, where largely white men killed each other. The French killing Germans, the Germans killing French, the French and the Germans killing each other, the Russians dying, the English dying, and of course, Americans died. The flower of the West died in World War I. Needless to say, they did not reproduce. They did not create families. And it seems to me the heart and soul of the West went out of the West after World War I. It doesn't mean that there aren't children. It doesn't mean that there aren't brave men and women. It doesn't mean that the nations have disappeared. To me, it looks like the flower of the West was destroyed in World War I. You can look also at the civilian casualty deaths in World War I. The highest death rate was caused by hunger, deprivation, and disease. The civilian casualties suffered during military occupation and retaliation in Belgium, Serbia, Galicia, etc. And then there was the Armenian genocide in Turkey, which claimed between one to two million dead Armenians. You should never, ever forget the genocide against the Armenians by the Muslim Turks. Never forget that. It was a holocaust. 
One in two million Armenians slaughtered by the Muslim Turks. But in terms of military deaths, you can look it up for yourself. Great Britain and Ireland lost 750,000 young men. Belgium lost 38,000. France lost 1.3 million dead men. Greece, 25,000. Italy lost 460,000. Russia lost between 1.8 to 2.2 million men. The United States of America sacrificed 117,000 men. Australia, 62,000. New Zealand, 18,000. So we can go down the list. It's a terrible thing to look at. 1.5 million dead soldiers in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. 2 million dead Germans. 325,000 dead Turks. 88,000 dead Bulgarians. And for what? What was gained by World War I? I would say nothing. The only thing gained from World War I was the death of the West. And the only winner was China. Of course, they didn't know it at the time. The death of the West, the decline of the West, we seem to be in a death throes here in the United States of America and Western Europe, where we are literally committing suicide. We're throwing ourselves off the cliff, inviting in alien populations that have no sympathy whatsoever for our borders, language, or culture. I'm Michael Savage, continuing now with Otto Spengler's The Decline of the West. We're trying something new because I have a new motto, which is new for 22. You got to always keep looking forward and try to make 22 new, something new for the year. And what we're going to do new for the year is have a little bit of an audience for a part of the podcast today. And the audience consists of Ryan O'Callaghan, longtime producer, Karen O'Toole, who's come back to the show after a hiatus of a number of years. She started with us many years ago. Karen is great, very reactive, and she understands podcasting better than I do. And I hope Doug can join us. He had a slight injury. He may or may not join us. But I'm going to start right off at the top because today's topic is, well, you can see it because we're going to post this a little later, the decline of the West will China take over the world. It's almost an oxymoron. I mean, they have taken over the world in a way. Between their aggression, their population, and the almost suicidal behavior of the leadership of the United States of America, especially in the military, under that dunce, I don't know where they got him from, who's searching for white nationalists and extremists in the military. You hear this? It's only the extremists who have defended this nation from the founding. George Washington was an extremist. Without extremists, there'd be no nation. Be a nation of putty. They're playing right into the hands of the China government. And I, I don't understand if I see it, who else sees it? So I could read from The Decline of the West. I'm not going to read the whole book. I haven't read the whole book. This is a book that most educated people have heard about in passing. In college, you would have heard about it. Perhaps not anymore. Of course, perhaps they would feature it today, The Decline of the West. That's something the, the socialist left would love to have you understand. But it's not what people think it is. I consider Spengler one of the greatest geniuses of all time. I'm amazed. I don't know how he read in these original languages, the philosophy the Greek languages you can't even believe exist. He apparently read in the original language and he goes back to ancient China, Mesopotamia and such. And the things he writes are so insightful. But what did he actually say? What was he saying with the decline of the West? Did he say that we would disappear overnight? That's not what he said at all. We wouldn't go out with a bang. In essence, we go out over a slow decline is what he basically said. And I'll read from his own words. The World War, meaning World War I, was no longer a momentary constellation of casual facts due to national sentiments, personal influences or economic tendencies, but the type of a historical change of phase, change of phase occurring within a great historical organism of definable compass at the point preordained for it hundreds of years ago, unquote, Oswald Spengler. Decline of the West, Volume 1, 1918. This book became an instant success in Germany after it was defeated in World War I. And he described the end of the Western world and the implication that Germany was part of this larger historical process. And that, of course, resonated with the German readers who were defeated after World War I. And what he described were, were great cultures through history. And they all followed a cycle from inception to expansion, followed by death. We don't want to hear this because we'd like to believe our American experience can go on forever. 
And he specifically predicted that in the final stage of Western civilization in the 20th century, listen to this, a thing he called Caesarism, Caesarism, a new and overpowering leadership would arise, replacing individualism, liberalism and democracy. It's chilling because this predated Hitler. Remember, Hitler was not on the scene when this book was written. He said Caesarism would replace individualism, liberalism, and democracy. What followed was Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini. FDR was a Mussolini of America, by the way, which I'm going to do a podcast on in the future. In fact, people don't know that FDR, the hero of the left in America, greatly admired Mussolini. It's a little known fact. Scholars criticized this book, but it became a bestseller in the 1920s. And it was the foundation for the social cycle theory, which tells us that stages of history generally repeat themselves in cycles. So Spengler, 1880 to 1936, the decline of the West, and he strongly influenced other modern thinkers that you may have heard of. Henry Kissinger, Joseph Campbell, Samuel Huntington, Arnold Toynbee and others were greatly influenced by him. I don't even know if people know who he is today, but he made predictions You've heard of Nostradamus, right? Everyone heard of him. The French 16th century physician and astrologer whose prophecies contain over 900 quatrains or predictions of the future, including wars, invasions, national disasters. And ultimately, uh, Nostradamus predicted the end of the world. They were considered mystical and intuitive. Most serious historians have dismissed Nostradamus, but some predictions have been accurate. Many of them were accurate. Another Frenchman, Alexis de Tocqueville, he was popular here in America in reading a number of years ago, wrote that in 1832, each one of them seems called by a secret design of providence to hold in its hands the destinies of half the world. What did he mean? He said that demographics dictated what would happen in the future of the world. But did de Tocqueville have any insight into the 20th century's world wars or the Cold War, the Great Depression? No. Not at all. So Oswald Spengler, again, with his decline of the West, began modern declinism. It's called declinism with his two volume decline of the West, which I'm holding right here on a book. In Spengler's view, Western civilization would not end as a sudden catastrophe, but as a protracted fall, a twilight or sunset, twilight or sunset. Spengler's word for the West in German is Abendland, which is German for evening land. I look at the news today and I'm shocked by what I see. Actually, I, in the business all these years, saw a story that actually stunned me. The new governor of New York, whatever her name, I never saw anything like this, has declared racism a public health disorder. And then the very next day, New York State says it will prioritize non-white people in distributing low supply of COVID-19 treatments. I said, this is impossible to believe. They're calling being a minority a health risk factor due to longstanding systemic health and social inequities. That's frightening. It's absolutely upside down. What I think, well, first of all, this article itself is so shocking that the state of New York saying it will prioritize non-white people in distributing COVID treatments that are in short supply. The plan includes a section of eligibility for the scarce antiviral pills. Thank you, Joe, that people must meet to receive the treatment, including a line that states the following. A person needs to have, quote, a medical condition or other factors that increase their risk for severe illness. OK, one such risk factor is being a race or ethnicity that is not white due to, quote, longstanding systemic health and social inequities. The memo reads, non-white race or Hispanic Latino ethnicity should be considered a risk factor as long-standing systemic health and social inequities, inequities have contributed to an increased risk of severe illness and death from COVID-19, the memo reads. This is on the face of it, one of the most shocking things I've ever read coming out of a public health department, but I'm not shocked by anything anymore. New York State Department of Health warns they don't have enough pal- Paxlovid or monoclonal antibody treatment and white people need not apply discriminating against people based on their skin color. Now, on the face of it, this is illegal, but that's nothing new for the Democrats. But there's something more here that doesn't meet the eye. You know what they're really doing here is they are admitting something that those of us who've studied this know 
minorities generally have a much higher rate of COVID than white people for reasons that have nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with lifestyle in plain English, in plain English. First of all, you take immigrants. They're all crowded into small apartments. Generally, the new immigrants, 16 to a room, the way my ancestors probably live. So that's a situation that creates a uh, Petri dish for, for illness like this. So what they're saying is they're going to prioritize non-white people and distributing low supply of COVID-19 treatments. They're making it sound like they're helping them because whites are racist. What they're really doing is targeting them because they know that's where the disease locuses are, loci of these diseases are. But they're so cynical, they can't come out and say it, is that minorities have a higher rate of this disease, so we're going to give them more of this. Instead, they say whites are evil. Crazy, isn't it? Now, what does it have to do with the decline of the West? Everything and nothing. Does anyone care to comment? Welcome, Doug. I hope you're feeling fine today. Better. Sorry, Doug. Had a, can I say it on the podcast? No, no, it's not fair. We'll <laughs> start talking about our illnesses. It'll be like <laughs> a man out there on the podcast. So this is something new for the podcast, which is Doug just joined us in, in somewhat into the uh, podcast. And this is being recorded before you're going to hear it on Tuesday, which is we're recording it on the day. Uh, it's New Year's the day before New Year's Eve. And we're recording it. We, I have my props ready for tonight's show on Newsmax. I'm on three shows tonight. That means you will have seen it already three days later. But I just want to show you the visuals. This would make a good screenshot, Tara, for our little YouTube teaser. I'm going to reuse some of the props, such as uh, Rip Van Winkle, to talk about liberals. <laughs> they see, seem all to still be living in the 60s. Uh, they want to talk. About, I love it. The, the San Francisco DA said we need to throw more money at crime. That's the way to solve it. I say no nightsticks and jails will work. They tried social control. They tried giving them more money. And instead, they wound up robbing the stores blind. Okay, we'll move on. I'm Michael Savage. Back in a minute. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Back to the decline of the West in a minute. Just going to read a few pieces from it. Now we're going to take a break. Karen or Ryan or Doug, any comments? If not, I'll continue to monologue. Anything, Karen? You're smiling. You may have. Come on, say something. I think it's interesting, like you said, about Spangler's not as commonly known as to Tocqueville and some of the other, maybe somebody like Hegel. But like you said, it's inter I mean, I've never heard of him. But now mm. that you're talking about him, I'm kind of interested in hearing about what he said. As you said, the Tocqueville hasn't really had anything that relates to the 20th century and beyond. So. I don't know if he's even taught anymore. I mean, he would be really wonderful for the left because it says the decline of the West. That should make them very happy. <laughs> Ryan, any comments on this? Did you ever catch this in any of your reading or in college or hear about it? I doubt anyone did. No, no, no. This was, I'm sure, buried, buried amongst, um, you know, all of it. Uh, it doesn't go with the narrative that they teach in schools and colleges. But I think it's very, uh, the part that, it, you know, stuck out to me the most when you were talking is uh, just a prediction of it how it just is so spot on from so long ago, even before, like you said, Hitler. So, yeah, he, yeah. Even before Hitler, he said there would be a rise of Caesarism and a decline of liberalism and democracy. This is a ninth, the book published in 1918. Caesarism. Well, we sure have had it in the 20th century, didn't we? And we have a Caesarism now under Biden. You know, Biden is a very deceptive character. Because he looks like he's uh, feeble, old and weak, but in actually he's a little mini Caesar. All of his edicts are very dictatorial. They try to ram everything through. Doug, any commentary from you? I know you're a little under the weather. You don't have to say a word. <laughs> no, I, I've just we studied him when I was in high school. No, back before everybody else here. That was in the was 1850s. Wasn't yeah. that during the Civil War? Yeah, the. The world was still in black and white. That was before Ted Turner <laughs> colorized everything. Um, history class, we had one chapter on him. You did? And that was it. Well, do you think this is relevant for a podcast? Let's just ask yeah. that question before I move on. How many people, like you brought up earlier, how many people have you even heard of? But I is it worth doing a whole podcast? I mean, the title is The Decline of the West Will China Rule the World? And I think the answer is they are ruling the world, more or less. At this yeah. point, especially when we have a, a deballed military 
that, as I said earlier, is looking for extremists in the military and throwing them out of the military, the very extremists who could save us from the very extreme Chinese communist military. Can you imagine him saying in China he's going to get rid of the extremists who believe in China and are willing to die for China? If you go into every war cemetery in America, every military cemetery, I would wager a bet that all the men who died in combat would be declared extremists today. Imagine they were willing to die for their nation. That's an extremist, isn't it? Well, anyway, just since we're on camera, I found this little picture from yesteryear. That's Teddy and I when I. God, that's a long time ago. Mike's bar. The bar has been given away. It's so, folks, I'm going to read a little bit, then let you go on in your merry way. I know you have an exciting day ahead of you. Some of you are getting covid tests. Others are going to the hospital for treatment. <laughs> Bring in the new year. So, OK, here's what I do. I cannot read a book like this from cover to cover. It's impossible. First of all, I don't have I have a mind that skips around a lot. So I did as I look in the back for subjects that interest me. It's got a great index. And I'm just going to read a little bit of here and there and see if it resonates with you, the listeners on the Savage Nation podcast and or the folks on my staff. And he's talking about the optical illusion of history, the immense optical illusion whereby distant histories of thousands of years, such as those of China and Egypt, are made to shrink to the dimensions of mere episodes, while in the neighborhood of our own position, the decades since Luther, and particularly since Napoleon, loom large as broken specters. What is he talking about? He is talking about the fact that in the West, we don't know very little about the ancient history of China or India, and such how many thousands of years they were around and then nothing but little footnotes to us. But what did they have to teach us? So he writes, it is self-evident that for the cultures of the West, the existence of Athens, Florence or Paris is more important than that of Luoyang or Petalaputra. I never heard of him. But is it permissible to found a scheme of world history on estimates of such a sort? He says, if so, then the Chinese historian is quite entitled to frame a world history in which the Crusades, the Renaissance, Caesar and Frederick the Great are passed over in silence as insignificant. Listen to that sentence. In other words, if we can relegate them to a mere footnote, he says, if that's true, then the Chinese historian is quite entitled to frame a world history in which the Crusades, the Renaissance, Caesar and Frederick the Great are passed over in silence as insignificant. He says, how could our 18th century be more important than any other of the 60 centuries that preceded it. Is it not ridiculous to oppose a modern history of a few centuries and that history to all intents localized in Western Europe as to to an ancient history, which covers as many millennia, incidentally dumping into that ancient history, the whole mass of the pre-Hellenic cultures, unprobed and unordered as mere appendix matter. It's it's a lot of words. And the man writes in a way. I mean, how could he pack so many ideas into such a few sentences? It's amazing. So he says, how can we dispose of Egypt and Babylon as small parts of history? How could it be so insignificant? And finally, he says in this paragraph, do we not relegate the vast complexes of Indian and Chinese culture to footnotes with a gesture of embarrassment? Then he says, as for the great American cultures, do we not on the ground that they do not fit in with what entirely ignore them? So what is he saying? He's saying he studied the ancient and the medieval and the modern histories of the world. And he says in its first form was a creation of the Magian world sense. Does anyone know what the Magians were? M-A-G-I-A-N and not magicians, the Magians. It's interesting. I had to look it up. It first appeared in the Persian and Jewish religions after Cyrus received an apocalyptic sense in the teaching of the book of Daniel on the four world eras and was developed into a world history in the post-Christian religions of the East, notably the Gnostic system. So let me pause right there. I probably lost everyone in the dying to leave. Get ready for New Year's Eve. I don't want to sound like a boring history teacher saying, oh, what the hell is he doing now? I don't want to hear anymore. It's enough bullshit. What he's saying is looking back into all of these ancient histories of these big cultures. He then looked at the West and he said, we're a small dot in the, in the history of the world, the West. And he says, we too are in a cycle, just like they came and they grew and they went through senescence and old age and passed on. So too will the West. 
So he's saying it's a slow movement. And my question today or my statement today or my discussion today is, as we're reading from the decline of the West and the rise of China, will China rule the world? And the answer is clearly they are ruling the world. Have they fired the final shot, sank all of our ships? No. Do they need to fire a ballistic missile to teach us that they're in charge? I don't think so. Not with this pacifist, socialist, almost Weimar Republic in America today with a senile, weak Neville Chamberlain-like stooge in the White House. It's reminiscent of Germany during the Weimar Republic to me. And I don't know if we're going to survive three, three more years of him. I really don't think so. And I don't think China will have to fire a shot. They own the rare earths. We found out they took them over in Afghanistan. They bought the few mines we had left. So what does that indicate? Do they have to conquer America by sending troops here? Let's hope not. But I think their troops are here already mentally. What is occasional cortex but a Chinese communist, a Maoist? Who are these leftists but communist Chinese? But they're not Chinese. They're communist Americans. So, yes, the West is in decline. Therefore, we can put the book down and now move on to New Year's Eve. We'll go on later in another chapter here, and I'll read from the decline of the West. He has amazing things to say. Being Jewish, I tend to look to see what people say about Jews. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to do it now. This will be the next chapter. The Jews aren't that important, but they are that important because the Jews gave us the concept of the Bible and of God and Christianity and Islam developed from Judaism. We all know that. And so, therefore, if we're going to talk about the decline of the West, we have to talk about Judaism and what it means to him. And the reason I want to talk about the Jews is because really from one reason, I swear to you, I had read years ago somewhere that Hitler loved Spengler. And Hitler used Spengler to justify his mania for having Germany save the world and the Aryan race save the world. And he particularly said that Spengler despised the Jews. Well, I actually looked into what Spengler wrote about the Jews. He said the exact opposite. Spengler did not debase or put down the religion of Jewry. And I will read to you later on about what he had to write about this. It's so well done. I'm going to give you a taste. In the springtime for the first five centuries of the Christian era, this landless consensus, meaning Judaism, spread geographically from Spain to Shantung. This was the Jewish age of chivalry and its Gothic blossoming time of religious creative force. And then he goes on to it. He says about the year 100, 500 begins the Jewish Baroque and so on. What does it have to do with the average listener to a podcast who's used to looking at uh, a slut's belly? Or, I mean, it's, do you realize how debased our society is? There's nothing wrong with the beauty of a woman or of a man. There's nothing wrong with eroticism. It's all part of the human condition. But when that is elevated beyond everything else, that means all else diminishes or disappears, as we see in America, where you almost never ever hear about anything uplifting. Everything is downlifting. So therefore, when I say we're going to talk about the decline of the West, it's self-evident that we are living in that decline. Any comments from the poor staff that I had to put up with the professor today before we I, let you go for the, for the holiday? <laughs> I, I think that last comment it ties into the fact that history isn't taught. We don't hear about the Chinese culture. We don't hear about you know, Egyptian. It, it's all short-term memory. Let's get to the, you know, let's just skip to the good stuff. Let's skip everything else that's happened. You know, instant gratification. Let's look at the pretty people on TV. Let's let's have decadent food. Let's forget everything else. that brought Sounds good to, to me. Life. That's what I need right now, Doug. <laughs> Brian, any final comments before the professor closes the big book and let you guys go? I, I think um, social media is the main culprit in all of this. And this, once that became the most prevalent part of everyone's life is being, you know, dehumanized and being on a screen and living these fake lives and reading all this misinformation, whether it's mm. right, left, up or down, it doesn't matter. It's just everyone has been almost like a virtual lobotomy. So another <laughs> virtual lobotomy. I like those words. TikTok and, and Instagram come to mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing worse than that. I mean, you see the, the, the Alec Baldwin's wife, the fake Spaniard that I call her hilarious, hilaria. She's the epitome of, of the debasement of our civilization, along with the Kardashians 
Karen, any final words from the only woman on the team? Oh, that's okay. Uh, like Ryan had said about the uh, digital lobotomy, I'm not sure how he put it exactly, but um, I like it. Like he, like he mentioned, it's it's kind of like we're our own gods, you know. And you mentioned about China not needing to fire any ballistic missiles. They already, you know, they run TikTok and they have are gaining so much of the data and influencing so hmm. much of what our youth are doing. You know, they're the ones promoting these, um, all these, you know, all of this, you, like you see all the, um, the kids try when the transgender uh, hysteria yeah, pushing is it all on being TikTok kind of pushed in order to destroy, yeah, destroy our next generation completely without yeah, firing yeah. a shot. Yeah. Well, we're in the twilight. We're in the chill with the closing of the flower. And I think the danger is real. And on that note, I'll let everyone go on their beautiful uh, day today. And we'll talk more about this today. The decline of the West will China take over the world. We've had some wonderful insights from the team. I thank you all for taking time out of your day. And we'll continue this perhaps over the weekend. Thank you very much for contributing to today's podcast. Happy New Year to staff and Happy New Year to listeners. It will be Happy New Year by the time they hear it. We need to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more. Stay tuned to the Savage Nation podcast. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So as we pick up my monologue, really, it's a long monologue on the decline of the West. Will China take over the world? And in the first part of this uh, podcast, I think it's pretty inevitable that if things go the way they're going, we've already lost the battle without them firing a shot. So before I continue with Spangler himself, look at some of the news stories that I found and put on michaelsavage.com. One in three Americans say violence against government can be justified, citing fears of political schism and the madness of the pandemic controls being put upon the people by the scum like Fauci and Biden. So left and right is saying violence against government can be justified. Gun violence hits 15 year high in LA, taking lives and erasing hard fought gains. Oh really, and you wonder why? When you let the animals run wild in the streets and you don't arrest them after they break into a store? When you take a psychopathic DA named Gascon, who was put in there by George Soros's money, after being run out of San Francisco on a rail, he went down there and became DA and did the same thing to LA and he's not in prison. Terrified Beverly Hills residents flock to buy guns from city's only firearm stores, LA crime stores. Of course they're buying guns. The leftists who want to deny you your second amendment, the loudmouth vermin, are now suddenly buying shotguns that wind up shooting their hands and feet off. They have no idea what they're doing. They think a shotgun simply pull the trigger. Very, very complicated weapons. But uh, the fact is, we have such a corrupt government that people have had enough of it. Here, Nancy Pelosi doubles down despite criticism, makes huge stock moves. She could give a damn less what you say. She says, we have a free market economy so I can do insider trading. Nothing happens to her. We have a corrupt gangster government that's like a gangrene upon the populace. They're like a gangrene. A gangrene. New York State. Maniac New York governor. The one that was put in place after Cuomo was uh, taken out declares racism a public health emergency without saying which ethnic group is attacking Asians, making believe it's white people. So people have had enough. And now we go to the question of the day, the decline of the West, which is a statement and the question of will China rule? Well, you know, in plain English, only a more savage nation can survive. Let's not mince words. They're training their young men to be hard as nails. We are destroying our young men in the United States of America, telling them to be transgender. And anyone who stands up in the military for America is called a white nationalist and thrown out of the military. Have you seen the stories? Purging the military everywhere you turn. The purge goes on for, quote, not handling a sexual harassment claim properly. Two major league warriors are thrown out of the Navy. Retired general says military has a threat within, but he has it on the wrong side. On CNN says military has a threat within for 2024. And so he says, stop listening to the pillow guy. Who is this moron? So he says we have a threat within 
And what he means is anyone who supports America and is a patriot and voted for Donald Trump should be thrown out of the military. On CNN, this piece of garbage talked about the subject, saying the big problem is where allegiances lie and the potential for a cult-like figure to sway even military members into insurrection. Can you believe this? Some retired fat bum collecting a fat pension? I would say to you that these leftists would declare 90% of the people who are laying in military graves around America white nationalists for having died for America. That's their definition of a white nationalist or white supremacist. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. So that brings us back to the book again on servitude and freedom. That's right. Spengler wrote, in his thousand-page book, The Decline of the West, on servitude and freedom. And he starts by talking about flowers, how at night, one after the other, close in the setting sun. Strange is the feeling that then presses in upon you, a feeling of enigmatic fear in the presence of this blind, dreamlike, earthbound existence the dumb forest, the silent meadows, this bush, that twig, do not stir themselves. It is the wind that plays with them. Only the little gnat is free. He dances still in the evening light. He moves whither he will. Beautiful writing, and yet it's in translation, no less. A plant is nothing on its own account. It forms a part of the landscape in which a chance may to take root. The twilight, the chill, the closing of every flower. These are not cause and effect, not danger and willed answer to danger. They are a single process of nature, which is accomplishing itself near, with, and in the plant. The individual is not free to look out for itself, will for itself, or choose for itself. And he's writing about freedom and servitude. And then he compares the plant with the animal. Listen very carefully, because we'll get to the human and you'll see that they've turned us into inanimate objects here in the West. It's really, it's chilling when you think about it. An animal, he writes, on the contrary, can choose. It is emancipated from the servitude of all the rest of the world. This midget swarm that dances on and on, that solitary bird still flying through the evening, the fox approaching furtively the nest, these are little worlds of their own within another great world. An animacule in a drop of water, too tiny to be perceived by the human eye, though it lasts but a second and has but a corner of this drop as its field, nevertheless is free and independent in the face of the universe. The giant oak upon one of whose leaves the droplets hangs is not. And then he goes on to servitude and freedom. One more paragraph on this. I know it's lengthy, but it's important. Servitude and freedom, he writes, this is in last and deepest analysis the differentia by which we distinguish between vegetable and animal existence. Yet only the plant is wholly and entirely what it is. In the being of the animal, there is something dual. A vegetable is only a vegetable. An animal is a vegetable and something more besides. A herd that huddles together, trembling in the presence of danger. A child that clings, weeping to its mother a man desperately striving to force a way into his God, all these are seeking to return out of the life of freedom into the vegetal servitude from which they were emancipated into individuality and loneliness. It's astonishing writing, and I could talk about it for a length of time, but I think you would be bored. Seeking to return out of the life of freedom into the vegetal servitude from which they were emancipated into individuality and loneliness. So as we achieve individuality, we, achieve lo- we, we find ourselves in loneliness. But that is the price of freedom. And that goes to the political world we are living in today, where we have been turned into nothing but vegetables for lying f- vermin like Fauci and the others to mask us and shoot us up with drugs and tell us it's for our own good. My friends... We are in a very bad place right now with great tension in the United States. We're in constant tension, constant tension in this nation and in the West. You see it around the world. You see it in France, where the European Union put up a flag for the EU. Of all places, on the Arc de Triomphe, which is built in memory of the war dead, 
the vermin like Macron, the internationalists like Macron, put up a flag that erased the French national identity. And only the right wing stood up to them, so-called right wing. If you're a nationalist, you're called every name under the sun. And so the right wing stood up to that left wing bum, Macron, and made him take down the EU flag from the Arc de Triomphe. And here in America, 34% of Americans say violence against government justified, fears of political schism and the pandemic. And then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, a great, great American patriot thrown off Twitter by those garbage heads who run it. They said she was thrown off Twitter for spreading COVID-19 misinformation. Now, what was the misinformation? She said that there are many breakthrough cases of COVID despite the vaccinations, which is 100% true. And yet Twitter, which considers itself more powerful than any government, suspends someone for speaking what she deems to be the truth. She didn't spread this information. She said clearly what is true, which is that there are many breakthrough cases of COVID despite people being vaccinated. They threw uh, Trump off Twitter. They let vermin like Maxine Waters threaten violence on Twitter. They let Kamala Harris and mentally ill Omar bail out rioters on Twitter. It's shocking. It is true that Twitter has become an enemy to freedom and cannot handle the truth. Green said when Maxine Waters can go to the streets and threaten violence on Twitter, Kamala and Elon can bail out rioters on Twitter, and chief spokesman for terrorist IRGC can tweet their mourning for Soleimani, the bum who was killed by Trump, the Islamist bum. She said, but I get suspended for tweeting statistics about COVID. She says Twitter is an enemy to America and can't handle the truth. That's fine, she said. I'll show America we don't need them and it's time to defeat our enemies, said Green. She's a wonderful, brave American. Maxine Waters went on to Twitter, encouraged people basically to riot against Trump supporters and tell them they're not welcome in our country anymore. Are you listening to this? Well, I can go on and on. We're living in a crypto fascism that's been brought about on many fronts. And the fact is, it's going to take people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like you to stand up to the fascists who are not only erasing the memory of the United States of America, purging the military of patriots. It's a repeat of history. It is reminiscent of Germany during the Weimar Republic, where a socialist pacifist government led to Hitler. We now have a semi-senile weak Neville Chamberlain stooge in the White House. And it's odd that we have not only a socialist pacifist president, but a senile, a semi-senile socialist pacifist president, all the while targeting anyone in America who stands up to the growing robbery of our freedoms. I'll go on with my readings and my eulogy for America here. I hate to say eulogy on uh, this podcast, but I want to read next about the Jews, and I will do so in a moment. And the reason is, well, why about the Jews? Why do we have to read about the Jews? Why not about Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam? Because Judaism is the cornerstone religion of the three major monotheistic religions of the world. Judaism first, then came Christianity, derived from Judaism. Then Islam derived from both religions with their own twist on the Muhammad. So these are considered monotheistic religions that believe in one God, the one true God. That's why they're called monotheistic religions. We're not talking about the religion of the Aztecs. We're not talking about the composite of Buddhism, Confucianism, and Taoism. We're talking about Judaism because it's the cornerstone of the basis of the United States of America and all of Western Europe. And for that reason alone, I want to read to you what Spengler wrote about the decline of the West, what he wrote about Judaism, because it's been misinterpreted for decades now. People said that Hitler was a fan of Spengler because he put down Judaism. The exact opposite is true, as you will hear. Now, I can't read it all to you because there's many pages on the Jews. And I'll continue in a moment right here on the Savage Nation podcast, unlike anything else you'll ever hear.
Thank you very much for listening. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. So now we move on to what Spengler said about the Jews. Why? Well, we're talking about the decline of the West. So we have to talk about what the West is. And the West began in many different ways, in many different places. But the religion of the Jewish people is the foundation for the religion of Christianity. Then Islam derived from both religions with their own twist. So who are they? According to Spengler, we will talk about that. The religion of Jewry is a Fala religion since the time of Yehuda Ben Halevi, who, like his Islamic teacher Al-Ghazali, regarded scientific philosophy with an unqualified skepticism and refused to it any role save that of handmaid of the orthodox theology. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, he then compares it to the transition from Middle Stoicism to the later form of the imperial period, and to the extent extinction of Chinese speculation under the Western Han Dynasty. That's interesting. Still more significant, he writes, is the figure of Moses Maimonides, who in 1175 collected the entire dogmatic material of Judaism as something fixed and complete in a great work of the type of the Chinese Li Qi, entirely regardless of whether the particular items still retained any meaning or not. That's interesting. Hmm. So, who are the Jews, according to him? Well, we have to go back to what he writes about them and where they came from. And we'll do that in a moment. But, you know, there's thousands of pages, a thousand pages here. And I guess I could cut it down to the basis here. And I'll just read pieces from this. And he talks about the Jewish people and where they came from and how they began and how they were a, a, a derivation of the Magians which is a member of the Zoroastrian priestly caste of the Persians. I'm not so sure that that's true, but it's what he wrote. He writes that in their Merovingian period, approximately the last five centuries before the birth of, before the birth of Christ, both Jewry and Persia evolved from tribal groups into nations of Magian caste without land, without unity of origin, and even so soon with the characteristic ghetto mode of life that endures unchanged today for the Jews of Brooklyn and the Parsis of Bombay alike. Big sweeping statement. In the springtime, remember, he writes about seasons and how the West is in its winter and decline. Now we're talking about the Jews. In the springtime, first five centuries of the Christian era, this landless consensus spread geographically from Spain to Shantung, this was the Jewish age of chivalry and its, quote, Gothic blossoming time of religious creative force. The latter or later apocalyptic, the Mishnah, and also primitive Christianity, which was not cast off till after Trajan's and Hadrian's time, are creations of this nation. It is well known that in those days the Jews were peasants, artisans, and dwellers in little towns, and big business was in the hands of Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans. That is, members of the classical world. About 500 begins the Jewish Baroque, which Western observers are accustomed to regard very one-sidedly as part of the picture of Spain's age of glory. The Jewish consensus, like the Persian, Islamic, and Byzantine, now advances to an urban and intellectual awareness and thenceforward, it is master of the forms of city economics and city science. Tarragona, Toledo, and Granada are predominantly Jewish cities. That's interesting. The Spanish cities were predominantly Jewish at that time. I didn't know that. Jews constitute an essential element in Moorish high society. Their finished forms, their esprit, their knightliness, amazed the Gothic nobility of the Crusades, which tried to imitate them. That's interesting. So the Christians, when they met them, try to imitate them. But the diplomacy also and the war management and the administration of the Moorish cities would all have been unthinkable without the Jewish aristocracy. Think about that very deeply, which was every whit as thoroughbred as the Islamic. Now, now you understand why Israel has thrived as a Jewish state and why the states that are 100% Islamic and have driven out Jews and Christians alike 
have collapsed into a medieval form of mud. My words. Okay. So he goes on to talk about the uh, spiritual significance. And he says there occurred a Puritan movement which rejected the Talmud and tried to get back to the pure Torah. That's interesting. Rejected the Talmud and tried to get back to the Torah. The community of the Curiites, preceded by many a forerunner, arose about 760 in northern Syria, the selfsame area which gave birth a century earlier to the Polician iconoclasts and a century later to the Sufism of Islam, three Magian tendencies whose interrelationship is unmistakable. He goes on in his book. While the Jews were already almost Fellahin, the Western peoples were still almost primitives. The Jew could not comprehend the Gothic inwardness, the castle, the cathedral, nor the Christian, the Jew's superior, almost cynical intelligence, and his finished expertness in money thinking. That's interesting. There was mutual hate and contempt, due not to race distinction, but to differences of phase. Now, we have to pause on that. He writes, there was mutual hate and contempt between the Christian and the Jew at the time, Do not to race distinction, not to race distinction, but to differences of phase. Are you listening to that? Think about that very deeply. Into all the hamlets and country towns the Jewish consensus built, it's essentially megalopolitan, proletarian ghettos. The Judengas is a thousand years in advance of the Gothic town. Just so in Jesus' days, the Roman town stood in the middle of the villages on the lake of Gensereth. And then he talks about the, uh, a certain period in which uh, the legend of the wandering Jew arose. It meant a good deal for a Scottish monk to visit a Lombard monastery, and nostalgia soon took him home again. But when a rabbi of Mans in 1000, the seat of the most important Talmudic seminary of the West, or of Salerno, betook himself to Cairo or Merv or Basra. He was at home in every ghetto. In this tacit cohesion lay the very idea of the Magian nation. Although the contemporary West was unaware of the fact, it was for the Jews, as for the Greeks of the period, and the Parsis and Islam, state and church and people all in one. Listen to that. Ch state and church and people all in one. Hmm. We've heard about church and state here in America, separation of church and state. At that time, for the ancient peoples, state and church and religion were all in one. This state had its own jurisprudence, and what Christians never perceived its own public life and despised the surrounding world of the host peoples as a sort of outland. Hmm. Wow. In 1799, the leading thinker among the Eastern Hasidim, Signor Salman, was handed over by the rabbinical opposition to the Petersburg government as though to a foreign state. That's a very important point, that the uh, Jewish people at that time turned over their Hasidic people to the Russian government as though to a foreign state. Jewry of the West European group had entirely lost the relation to the open land, which had still existed in the Moorish period of Spain. There were no more peasants. The smallest ghetto was a fragment. The rabbi is the Brahmin or Mandarin of the ghetto, and a coolie mass characterized by civilized, cold, superior intelligence and an undeviating eye to business. Wow, what a sentence that is. He writes, but this phenomenon again is not unique if our historical sense takes in the wider horizon for all Magian nations have been in this condition since the Crusade period. The Parsi in India possesses exactly the same business power as the Jews in the European American world and the Armenians and Greeks in Southern Europe. Hmm. Fascinating. And then he talks about the Romans in the early Arabian world. He says, in the last instance, indeed, the conditions were the exact reverse of those of today for the Jews, quote unquote, of those days were the Romans. And the Armenian felt for them an apocalyptic hatred that is very closely akin to our West European anti-Semitism. The outbreak of 88, in which at a sign from Mithridates, a hundred thousand Roman business people 
were murdered by the exasperated population of Asia Minor. And it was a veritable pogrom. Race warfare? No. Class warfare? Yes. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I'll continue with a little bit more because there's so much and it's unnecessary that we read more about this. It's important only that we know the origins of our civilization. That is Western civilization and our religions. One part of Eastern Jewry conforms in bodily respects to the Christian inhabitants of the Caucasus and other to the South Russian Tatars and a large portion of Western Jewry to the North African Moors. What has mattered in the West more than any other distinction is the difference between the race ideal of the Gothic springtime, which has bred its human type, and that of the Sephardic Jew, which first formed itself in the ghettos of the West and was likewise the product of a particular spiritual breeding and training under exceedingly hard external conditions. He goes on. This feeling of being quote-unquote different is the more potent on both sides, the more breed the individual possesses. That's a phenomenal sentence. The feeling of being different is stronger the more deeply the individual is bred in their particular religion. He goes on, it is want of race and nothing else that makes intellectuals, philosophers, doctrinaires, utopists, incapable of understanding the depth of this metaphysical hatred, which is the beat difference of two currents of being manifested as an unbearable dissonance, a hatred that may become tragic for both. Now think about this. This was published in 1918, and he talks about the differences that are so strong that it creates an unbearable dissonance, a hatred that may become tragic for both. What happens soon after 1918? Huh? What happened soon after 1918, after the Germans? Remember, this book was written after the defeat of Germany in World War I, and it was a widely popular book. What happened was the country was weak. The Weimar Republic was very much like America today. And after that, there arose a strong man, a Hitler, a hatred that may become tragic for both. The same hatred as has dominated the Indian culture is setting the Indian of race against the Sudra. During the Gothic Age, this difference is deep and religious, and the object of hatred is the consensus as religion. Only with the beginning of the Western civilization does it become materialist and begin to attack Jewry on its intellectual and business sides, on which the West suddenly finds itself confronted by an even challenger. That, again, is a very powerful few words where the West suddenly hates the Jew because it's a challenge to its dominance. You see how that works? There's so much more you should read for yourself when he writes about the Baal Shem, the founder of the Hasidim sect, who was born in Vilnia about 1698, and he said the Baal Shem was a true Messiah, a true Messiah arose. His wanderings through the world of the Polish ghettos Teaching and performing miracles are comparable only with the story of primitive Christianity. There is so much here that I cannot read. As you could see, there's too much density of thought packed into this small number of pages in the decline of the West. Maybe I should end this little piece on the Jews, which is contained, by the way, in this chapter on Pythagoras, Muhammad, and Cromwell in the decline of the West in his wanderings and his writings. I will. I'll read this to you. Today, this Magian nation, with its ghetto and its religion itself, is in danger of disappearing. It's chilling when you hear about this now, when it was written. In danger of disappearing, not because the metaphysics of the two cultures come closer to one another, for that is impossible, but because the intellectualized upper stratum of each side is creating, is ceasing to be metaphysical at all. Because the intellectualized upper stratum of each side is ceasing to be metaphysical at all. Boy, is that true. It has lost every kind of inward cohesion. And what remains is simply a cohesion for practical questions. In the moment when the civilized methods of the European American world cities shall have arrived at full maturity, the destiny of Jewry 
at least of the jewelry in our midst, that of Russia is another problem, will be accomplished. Did you hear that? In the moment when the civilized methods of the European American world cities shall have arrived at full maturity, the destiny of Jewry will be accomplished. So he's saluting the Jewish people for its civilization, for bringing civilization, and for creating the civilization of the European American world cities. I'll pause right there. You can read this for yourself. Try not to get the cliff notes because they're written by people who don't usually understand what they're summarizing. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I hope this has been informative for you. And when I come back, we'll talk more about the practical nature of today's podcast, which is the decline of the West. Will China rule the world? And I will focus with a hard focus on the imbecile running the United States of America into the ground, surrounded by the most vicious anti-American, anti-white in particular, left-wing scum I have ever seen imaginable. I never thought they would arise in my time. I knew we had a crypto-socialism on the Bush. In fact, I called Bush a socialist. And I knew what, uh, what Biden was. I knew he was nothing but a, a hat carrier for the more powerful forces of the Democrat Party who waited his time long enough until eventually they put him into the position that he's in now. And obviously he's senile and he does whatever he is told to do. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And he's being ruled by the most vicious left-wing group imaginable in a nation as vast as ours. Daily hatred of the white man, daily hatred of the white race, daily racism from the newspapers and the media without a peep coming out of the mouth of the senile socialist pacifist in the White House. Is this a repeat of history? Is it reminiscent of Germany during the Weimar Republic with a semi-senile weak Neville Chamberlain-like stooge in the White House? And what follows? Look at the news. Look at the chaos. Look at the violence. Look at the rebellions. And I'll let you decide what follows. Maybe that's enough for this podcast. This is not so much a podcast that is acting to be uh, a prediction. After all, I'm Michael Savage. I'm not Nostradamus. I'm not de Tocqueville. I'm certainly not Spengler. I'm a mere podcast. I'm a mere podcaster, author, and popular thinker. What's next? It's anyone's guess. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.